0: Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for some spoilers. I know I said I would probably talk about The Seep by Chana Porter this week, but on reflection, I'm actually going to set that one aside for now. I do have like a draft for it, but I'm still kind of processing it. It was really good, and I really enjoyed it. But there are some books that just don't fit in my podcast brain, and right now that's one of them. When I try to talk about it, it's like my brain shorts out. I'm like, there's, it's about, and and then stuff happens, and she, and, oh, it's about a woman processing the loss of her world and her wife. Really, her world sort of summarizes it. Um, but it's, ah, it's good. I just don't know how to talk about it yet. So maybe I'll read it again and have a better idea of what to say in an episode. But for now, that one's going to the archive. So instead, this week, we're talking about The Rest of the Kingston Cycle by C.L. Polk. I talked about the first book, Witchmark, in episode 64, and this time I'll be covering the final two books of the trilogy, Stormsong and Soul Star. Here is a summary of the trilogy that I stole from Macmillan Publishers. C. L. Polk's historical fantasy series The Kingston Cycle combines a world of witches and wizards with an enchanting Edwardian England setting. Miles Singer, born with magical abilities, hides who he really is and joins the war efforts to escape his troubled past. But when desperate measures force him to use his healing powers, his true character is exposed, and there's no turning back. This gaslamp historical fantasy series, full of impossible romances and action-packed wizard battles, begins with a critically praised Witchmark. Now, the first book, Witchmark, was published in 2018, followed by *Storm Song* in 2020 and Soulstar in 2021. Our author, C.L. Polk, lives and plies their trade in Canada. I believe their most recent work is the novella Even Though I Knew the End. Which was published in 2022. I don't see any new book announcements from them, but their website has links to their socials if you want to keep up with them. So, as I briefly mentioned, for information on book one, I recommend you listen to episode 64 of this podcast, Witchmark. I have retitled it to the Kingston Cycle, Witchmark, so it's easier to find in the archives and That way it's a little more obvious that these episodes go together, kind of like I'm doing for the Vorkos again saga. So just a quick reminder about this world. It's a secondary world fantasy, and it feels a little bit alternate history almost. I really liked the setting. It's kind of gaslamp fantasy. It has some technology, but it's an Edwardian era style setting with magic. There are phones and an electricity equivalent, and cars exist, but are really rare and almost more trouble than they're worth. Um, And the city of Kingston, where most of this takes place, is built around the idea that your main mode of transport is a bicycle. Well, they do also use, like, sleighs, because it's—there's, like, winter is a huge deal for this country. There's lots of snow. Um, And also— just a little reminder that there is a secret circle of mages who control the weather for the entire country, um, which is really important because that's the only way that this country is habitable. Is because there are these mages who control the storms, which could be tied to the reason the second book is titled "Storm Song." I keep getting these final two titles mixed up. I keep saying. Storm Star and Soul Song, or Storm Soul and Song Star, and <sighs> it's fine. We're gonna make it. So the second book, Storm Song, follows immediately on the heels of the first, picking up with Miles's sister Grace. Miles was the main character in book one, um, and I really enjoyed his story and his perspective. And if my memory is right, all of these books are written in first person, which gives you like a very close, narrow view of a story. And I took a little break in between reading book one and book two, and I'm glad I did because I wasn't ready to continue this story through someone else's eyes. I really enjoyed Miles as like the main point of view character part of that is that it was easier to sympathize with Miles because even though he had like the same upbringing as Grace, Grace is less easy to sympathize with because she is so firmly entrenched in the corrupt systems of power in their country. While she acknowledges the need to change their country and the way their society works, she is trying to make these changes inside the system. And it does help that Grace wants to make changes, but she pushes for gradual change that can be done inside the system, and she has to make a lot of compromises. And part of the problem is that no matter how many little changes and improvements you make in the system, if the system itself as a whole is corrupt, there's only so much improvement that you can make. So in the first book, Miles and Tristan uncovered that the country Eland was using witches and the souls of the dead to generate ether, and ether is like their electricity. So for the last 20 or so years, Eland has been using ether to power everything. Witches are locked up in asylums, proclaimed insane, and forced to work at capturing the souls of the dead and channeling them through the ether power lines. This is bad, Uh, and definitely not a metaphor for anything in modern society. <laughs> the prison industrial complex. <clears throat> okay, so the rich Echelon knows the truth about Ether, but most people in their day-to-day lives have no idea about it. They just accept that witches are dangerous and must be locked up, and that's it. Miles and Tristan were able to destroy the magic network holding the souls captive They had the help of Tristan's people, the Amaranthines, who are like magic elf, fairy guardians, angels of the afterlife? Sort of? Tristan's people have a vested interest in making sure that souls don't get trapped in ether power lines. So as of Book 2, the magic network trapping souls is gone, but the witches are still imprisoned in asylums. The people who created the ether system are still in power. Winter is on its way and the whole country has come to rely on this power source to light and heat their homes. Miles and Grace's father, Sir Christopher, is one of the main antagonists in these books. There are other antagonists, um, but he sticks around the longest and causes the most problems. He's like The face and hands of this corrupt system. He is also the Queen's main advisor and basically magic prime minister. But illness and now controversy have driven him from his official position. At the beginning of Book Two, Grace is trying to consolidate her own power and position to take over her father's role. And she has to walk a careful line between all these groups with different interests and power and still hold on to her own power and influence through tact and diplomacy. She mostly works with the rich and the magic nobility. She wants to free the witches and have them absolved of any so-called crime, which is apparently a tough sell to a lot of people. It does help that the Amaranthines also want the witches freed and they're threatening magic retribution if Elend doesn't get its act together. In addition, the Amaranthines want justice for the imprisoned witches and the people of Lanier, who in the first book Elend went to war with in order to get more souls to power their ether network. The Queen of Elend is against admitting any fault, and the rich and powerful, most of them mages themselves, are on her side even with a threat of Amaranthine magical rebuke hovering over them. But the queen's son is also on Grace's side. All he needs in order to help is a promise from Grace that she'll help him overthrow his mother and put him on the throne. I'm sure that's fine. What's a little anti-monarchy plotting between friends? Is also really not anti monarchy so much as it is anti specifically this guy's mother. We do resolve a lot in this book. The witches are freed, Grace is prime minister, and there's a new king. But the story is left hanging and kind of more than how Witchmark left things unresolved. Um, I thought the ending was a little rushed. I expected there to be more. To this chapter for grace. But lucky for you, right now we get to go straight into book three. You don't have to wait. The final Kingston Cycle book is called, let me check my notes, Soul Star. I knew that. Once again, we have a perspective shift. We are now following Robin Thorpe. And Robin has been in all of these books just so you know. She is a fellow medical professional with Miles in book one and in book two. She and her secret circle of witches who have been hiding from the government help Grace and her circle of witches turn back the power of several storms that would have basically buried the entire, entire country under snow. So in book three, we get a look at how the witches have been hiding for the last 20 or so years. Um, and we also get a look at how everyone else lives. Miles had a little bit of this in his story. Grace was completely removed from it. But Robin is is part of a movement that's trying to like give the right to vote to every person in the country. Um, because right now they have like a a limited number of seats and only basically it's set up so that only the rich can have a vote in what happens in the government. And so we get this view of like how people have been working tirelessly for 20 years to try to change things in the system. Um, and one of the things they've really been working on is freeing witches So finally, in Book 3, the witches have been freed from the asylums, um, thanks to years of tireless work by campaigners. And then, of course, there's that last-minute intervention from a new king who is eager to prove himself. Robin's community welcomes back their lost family, those who have been locked in the asylums for nearly 20 years. Robin is even reunited with her spouse, Zeland, who Robin thought had died in the asylums. Zeland is non-binary and uses neopronouns, which I believe are pronounced key and care. They're spelled K-H-E and K-H-E-R. I was trying to remember where else I've seen neopronouns in a book, and of course it was Becky Chambers' Wayfarers series, which had a few Z-Zer pronoun users. And if you're unfamiliar, neo-pronouns are a cool linguistic development a lot of people are using when they want non-gendered pronouns and don't want to use they them. And actually I was I fell down like a little bitty rabbit hole about neo-pronouns. But the first recorded use of a neo-pronoun is from 1789, which is so cool and so tangential to all of this. <laughs> but listen, all of language is made up. If the words that exist now aren't working for you, you can just make some new ones Okay. <laughs> so Soulstar, uh, Robin and her fellow activists have been protesting outside the palace for months. Robin's activism has a slightly more ambitious end than Grace's. Robin's group want to allow everyone the right to vote and to dismantle the monarchy and set up a democracy. Uh, The monarchy, as you might imagine, is a little opposed to this. And behind the monarchy stand the rich, the only ones currently allowed to vote and have a voice in the government. They like the system set up the way it is. And most of all in support of the status quo is, of course, Sir Christopher, father of Miles and Grace, who has been a pain in the ass for this entire series. Technically, Right now, he is in prison for supporting and profiting from the imprisonment of witches, but in actuality, he is still influencing a lot. The king keeps coming to him for advice, which is bad. You don't want that to happen. So there is a lot that each character is working against, but Sir Christopher is the common antagonist in each book, and the series doesn't end until he's removed from the board entirely. And it's kind of funny to have Robin as the perspective here at the end, because Miles and Grace, for the first two books, they're like, they grew up rich, and this is their father. They're so they're conflicted, they disagree with their father like fundamentally, but you know, he's still their father. And then you get to Robin and book three, and she's like, Hey, this guy sucks, and he should hit the bricks. It's very refreshing. Robin is busy. She's an organizer. She's juggling the return of thousands of witches from the asylums, organizing fundraisers and events, the reappearance of a spouse long thought dead, the Prime Minister, Grace, offering her a job, the new knowledge that she has magic. Because Robin's magic is to see and speak with the souls of the dead. And of course, for the last 20 years, all souls have been trapped in the ether network. So she had no idea what her magic was, basically. Uh, And that's just the tip of the iceberg for what's happening with Robin. And then the leader of their movement, their democracy movement, is assassinated. And Robin is suddenly thrust into the spotlight as the face of the movement, um, leading, of course, to new challenges and dangers, Her predecessor has been killed, the police are harassing her, newspapers won't print anything in opposition to the current government, she and her spouse Zeland are barely talking. It's a lot. It's a lot to handle. Robin will need to rely on her friends, including Miles and Grace, her family, and the ghosts of those once trapped in the ether network if she's going to change things for her country. I liked this trilogy a lot. I've been thinking about how each book is structured and what it focuses on. Because, like, I had the biggest trouble with the middle book. And I know, like, a middle book slump in a trilogy is fairly common. Um, And I think part of it is that, like, the storyline is left kind of hanging in book two, which is, of course, necessary because you have a whole third book you need to write. Um, But the first book has like a murder mystery plot and a romance plot. And those are the main focus. And then there's like a little bit about the government plot. Um, And the first book wraps up both the murder mystery and the romance plot. And it just leaves the larger political plot, like kind of up in the air. We haven't focused on that too much. In the second book, it it resolves when like the arc of the romance resolves, but the political reform plot is still kind of up in the air. And Grace's plot is so much more connected to the government reform plot. And like, yes, there's a new king at the end of book two, but it feels unresolved because all they've done is moved within the current Corrupt system and not done anything to affect real change. Um, And then in book three, the government reform plot becomes the main focus. And while there is a romance plot that does get resolved, it's really focused on the reform. Um, And it's nicely resolved at the end, which gives the trilogy a good strong finish. I just really struggled with Grace, I think. And You know, part of that is what I said before, is that she's so firmly entrenched in the system. But, as a whole, this trilogy was easy to devour, which has been a nice break from some of the extremely long books I've been reading lately. These are definitely books meant to be read together. Some series you can pick up any book and be fine, but I really think this whole thing works better as a set. If you want more media like this, you sh- just watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Um, there's probably some other suggestions I could give you, but that's the one that immediately comes to mind. Um, and you can join me next time to hear about The Shadow Rising by Robert Jordan. We are getting hyped up for season two of The Wheel of Time show, finally, uh, and Daniel will be joining me for that. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at backlogbookspodcast or at backlogbooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.